You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. So, Easter celebrates resurrection. Not as a concept or an ideal, not as in like this uh, ethos of springtime. Not as even in like a hopefully one day sort of thing. No, no, Easter celebrates resurrection as an actual, real, tangible moment in history. And the Gospel of John frames resurrection in terms of creation. So if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John begins in John chapter 1 with all of these parallels of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so there are these immediate parallels of life and death and light and darkness and chaos and form coming out of this arrival of Jesus. It's a nod to Genesis 1 at the creation of the cosmos, the beginning of all of history. God crafts all things. And on day six, God forms and fashions humanity. And then uh, if you've been around church at any level, you know the story. On day seven, God rests. He ceases from his work. Six days of creation, and then rest. In John's story, though, Jesus does not create humanity on Friday. But instead, in John's story, Jesus enters into the unmaking of humanity. He takes the unmaking of creation upon himself the unmaking of humanity upon himself. Jesus steps into our hatred, our violence, our injustice, our lack of love, our selfishness and power mongering. He enters into it and he takes it upon himself. And he gives himself over to that violence. He gives himself over to that brokenness. He gives himself over to that unmaking out of love for you and for me and his cosmos that he created. And Friday, the cross, is the final chapter of an old book. It's the final chapter of an old creation. It's the final chapter of an old way of being a tired and weary existence where violence and death and darkness and hatred rule the day. And then silence. 
body taken down from the cross, God has rested in a tomb. And he lays there on day seven. And God rests. He looks at the works of his hands and he says that it's good. And he rests. And after day six, out of the Sabbath, his mother and his friends and his loved ones take his body, lay it in the dirt, and they begin their Sabbath. And the confusion and the doubt and the chaos and the distress that that moment must have brought for them, our king has been killed. Our king has been overcome. The one that we thought who was coming to conquer has himself been conquered. The one in whom we thought was life is dead. And they rested in their confusion and in their darkness. The end of the old broken creation consumed by sin. It's last day. Because John tells us In verse 1, on the first day of the week. You see, what John is doing here is he is is beginning a new creation story. He He is trying to invite us into the reality of what Jesus is doing for you and for me and for all of the cosmos. And it does not begin on day eight. No, no, no. It begins on day one, a new beginning, a new creation, resurrection. Life. And Mary and John and Peter are about to experience the reality that this new creation is not some distant thing in the future, but it has already begun right here and right now. A a creation that the prophets of God had prepared God's people for. Isaiah says it this way, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. And this old work of creation, the one that was marked by decay and chaos and death, where violence and greed and oppression of neighbor, where our way to prosperity has come to an end. It, along with Jesus, was nailed to a cross. It's finished, it's work. It has done its best as the powers of evil surrounded Jesus and attempted to overcome him with their hatred, with their violence, with their darkness. And the powers and the principalities and the evil things that are at work in our world seemingly conquer God. And receiving into himself my violence, my anger, my selfishness, my greed, my brokenness, my weakness, my anxiety, my unwillingness to hope and trust and wait, receiving into himself all of this. He takes on the world's sin and shame and violence and all of it is crucified with him. But early on the first day of the week, something new, something different, something other than that, 
something other than the way that you and I have grown up in, something other than the way that you and I know, and really the only way we know, something new had begun. Resurrection. For the first time in all of history, the world was no longer marked by death and decay, but by life. It was no longer a world of entropy, a world where death and chaos and corruption were the rule. Suddenly, for the first time, out of death sprung life. And not like temporary life, right? Like Lazarus died again, y'all. Like he's not in a cave somewhere waiting for us to come say hi. That would be really great if he was, but he's not. Like this is the only, well, one of the only people in history that had to die twice. And that's like, hey, thanks for raising me back, but also, all right, we're going to do this again? Okay, cool. But no, no, this was different because this was the first time that life sprung from death. And it was eternal life. It was real life. It was not life that would one day die again. A new creation. The first day. Now, many of us have understood this hope, this new creation, as an entirely future prospect. And it is true that the kingdom of God, the resurrection of the dead that accompanies it, God's reign in the cosmos and in the world is yet fully fulfilled. We are still waiting for it, still longing for it, still hoping for it, still uh, aching for the day that one day all things will be made right. And this means everything to me. So I don't want to diminish that this morning. Two years ago, this month, My family had to to stand by from a distance as my aunt languished in the hospital. Life slowly falling into death. My, My wife and I have had to bear the burden of not being able to ever hold or see two of our children. We went from the joy and the hope and the delight of life and all the expectations and the dreams that come with that into the lament of death. Both of my grandfathers, one of my grandmothers, two of my babies, all those who have passed from life to death. And just yesterday, a dear friend of mine who I haven't heard from in a very long time called me absolutely broken. The person who had meant the most to him in the world, the person who had mentored him and taught him and raised him up and been there for him when no one else was in all of his good times and bad times, that person had passed away and he's asking me to come and do their funeral. And in this, I'm just hearing the brokenness and and the real like grappling that he is trying to to do in this moment of like, yeah, yeah, but I know like he's in a better place now and he's free from suffering and like I'll one day get to see him again. And he's trying to gloss over this real, actual, gut-wrenching feeling that he has of he's gone. He's gone, passing from life to death. And even though we have this future hope, that does not diminish the reality that we live in a world of death. And the hope of Easter invites us into something, yes, absolutely, that we can hope for, for one day in the future, I believe fully and I'm hoping for and I'm expecting and longing for that day when I will be able to hold and embrace my loved ones again. But this new creation, 
The thing that Jesus has begun at his resurrection is not just a one-day thing. It's not just a future thing. It is a right now thing. It began back there with an empty tomb in Jerusalem, and it is already here among us today, even now. Watch as John continues to tell us the story. Look in John chapter 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the other, one at the, other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was him. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me, where have you put him and I'll get him? And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So I, I love this like first apostle, this first sent one, this first missionary of this new creation, this new order, this new way of being is not just a woman who would have been like looked down on in this sort of patriarchal society, but she's Mary Magdalene a woman who had been possessed by seven demons, a woman who like traditionally, even though like biblically this doesn't line up, but traditionally has been associated with prostitution. She is our first bearer of the good news, the first one that the Lord appears to and says, go and tell the men. I've seen the Lord. I love that. But, but look what Mary's doing. Mary is standing outside of Jesus' grave weeping. And I, I can only imagine what she might be weeping in this moment, right? The obvious thing is, well, her rabbi, her friend, her mentor, her confidant has died. The only one who ever really fully saw her and embraced her and accepted her as a valuable human being. He's gone. But also there's the real weight and sting of the injustice of it all, the anger that must have been welling up inside of her of again, of course, again, the powers win. Of course, the mighty defeat the weak. Of course, the way of hatred overcomes the way of love. Of course, this is how the world works. She weeps. She weeps over that old world order of things. She weeps over death. She weeps over loss. She weeps over injustice. She likely weeps over having to return back to her state in life in a patriarchal society. And her weeping is like Eve's weeping. 
Right? There's a famous painting, so famous that I don't remember the name of it right now. It's a picture of Adam and Eve holding Abel. And his dead, lifeless body is in their laps. And in the background, it's just a desolate, gray world. And they're just weeping. They're weeping over the way things are. They're weeping over the fact that death even exists. They are weeping in their powerlessness to sin and darkness in this reign of the devil. And Mary, like Eve, weeps. Death, loss, despair, weeping. Happy Easter. (laughs) But if you give yourself a moment to slow down and actually really feel, if you give yourself a moment to enter into some of the stillness, if you take just a moment on this Christmas Sorry, Christmas, wow. Woo. If you take just a moment on this Easter morning to just actually stop and check in what, on yourself. I don't know, maybe you've got life by the horns. Maybe you're living the best version of your life you possibly can. Maybe everything's looking up for you and things are going your way. But I'm willing to bet that the majority of you in here, if you're really honest with yourself, no matter how successful you look, no matter how much you've got it together, no matter how much things are going your way, I bet inside there is a deep, gaping pit in your stomach that feels something like grief. Something inside of you that is drawing you into something like weeping. Something inside of you that recognizes that there is brokenness out there. Yes, absolutely, but... Maybe even there is brokenness in here too. And I seem to be at a loss for being able to do anything about it. So the only response I can have is just to weep. My daughter, um, Zoe, she's two, two and a half. And if you're finding like bits of donut in your seats, that was from her earlier. So sorry about that. (laughs) And to her, the world is big and it's beautiful and it's bright and it's filled with wonder. But recently, like she continues to develop as a toddler, she's entered into this new phase where suddenly she recognizes, wait, wait, hold on. There's some scary things in the world too. And she started to wake up with like nightmares and she's been able to express to us like, no, no, there's, there's dinosaurs in my bathroom. We're like, no, no, there's no dinosaurs in your bathroom. I, like dinosaurs don't exist. They died millions and millions of years ago. Like, this is not a thing. She's like, no, there are dinosaurs in my bathroom. And she's just like, t- like petrified, y'all. And we don't show her Jurassic Park. Okay, so don't blame bad parenting on us. Okay, I have no idea why there's dinosaurs in the bathroom all of a sudden, but they're there. Her imagination has begun to fashion nightmares and imagine fears. And I think her little two-year-old soul has some sort of tiny self-awareness that there's something out there that's broken and it wants to consume me. I don't know how to name it. I don't know what it is, but monsters are real and I am scared. 
She's grappling with the fact that not all is right with this world. So my wife, Gabby, her mom, um, if you've been around any length of time, you know that she suffers from a chronic illness. Unfortunately, she couldn't be here this morning because she's just in too much pain. She feels too sick. It was like absolutely devastated that of all mornings that she couldn't join us. Yesterday, um, she was having a rough day and Zoe and I had gone outside. And by that, what I mean is that Zoe had drugged me outside because that's what two and a half year olds do is they demand you do everything they ask. Um, and so the sun had finally come out, right? It had been a kind of a cold, rainy couple of days. And so she wants to go to the swing. And so we're out on the swing. The sun is shining and it's kind of beautiful and nice. And all of a sudden she goes, mama, come play. I was like, oh, baby, you know, mommy can't play right now. She's not feeling good. And this is a conversation we have, you know, often. It's like, how are we going to begin to teach our child? Like, hey, your mom's dealing with this illness. Like, what does this look like for you? She loves you very much, even though she can't be there and do all the things that you wish that she could do. So we're swinging, and she says, no, no, mommy, come outside and play. And I said, no, baby, you don't understand. She doesn't feel good. Her body hurts. Remember, remember hurt? We do our sign language for hurt. Her body hurts, and she needs to rest. And she hung her head, and for the first time ever, like she's, she's always heard this. We've talked to her about this. But for the first time ever, she actually responded to it and began to process it. And she just hung her head, and she said, that makes me sad. That makes me sad. And what do you do with that, right? Suck it up, kid, right? <laughs> like, no, that, that makes me sad too, Zoe. You know what? That makes mommy sad, Zoe. You know who makes that? You know who's like the saddest, though? I think God is the saddest, Zoe. And I know that this is true. And I began to realize that what she's beginning to do is she's beginning to understand that there are things about the world that she wishes were different. And not like silly things, like I wish my donut was pink instead of white, although that's real too. Like real things, profound things, in-depth things that matter to her. Like, no, no, this is, this is not the way that it should be. And it makes me sad. Even my two-year-old understands that the world is filled with things that she wish she wishes weren't true. If we slow down long enough, I think a lot of us have that profound feeling as well. And I think right here in this spot, this is what Mary is feeling. She stands outside this empty tomb, bewildered that someone must have come and stolen this sacred body, and she weeps. But something new has started. And encountering Mary, Jesus shows up and gently and kindly shows her the glimpses of the beginning of this new world. He reminds her that her hopes placed in him were not misplaced at all. That, yeah, yeah maybe you didn't understand how this was going to go, but he's got it. He's in control. His promises will actually come out in the end that he does really care for her. And that her tears can actually and really and finally be over. And she doesn't recognize him at first until he says her name, Mary. In an earlier lesson, he had told Mary and the other disciples, he says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know their name. 
And then even earlier than that, he says this, those in the grave will hear my voice and they will come out of their graves. And here is Mary standing in a graveyard and Jesus says, Mary. And all of a sudden her eyes are open and she sees the resurrected Jesus and she finally understands, come out of your grave, come out of your place of death, come out of that tomb and come and live into this new life, this new creation, this resurrection that yes, is one day gonna be full and final, but has begun here and now in me. Won't you come and experience life? Mary. And she grabs him, she embraces him, and she clings to him, and she's like, hold on, I've got some work for you to do. Go and tell the men a foretaste of the new creation is here. So Mary hears his voice and enters this new way of life, this new world of love and grace and forgiveness and life, true life, abundant life, eternal life. And the rest of the New Testament is inviting us into living into this new creation here and now as the people of God. Into this resurrection here and now as the people of God. Into this hope here and now as the people of God. And we will weep. Absolutely, yes. Because as we look to the resurrected Jesus, we stand in the midst of a graveyard. And many of us, maybe even in our own graves, and we lament that and we weep over the brokenness of this world and the brokenness that's in us, yes, absolutely. But we do so with real, actual hope. Something new has started. The beginning of resurrection. So we don't deny death. We don't celebrate death. We don't pretend that death is a good thing, but instead, in hope, we protest against it. We say death does not get the victory in the end. And Mary, right then and there, enters into this new world that's symbolized with an empty grave. And so I want to tell you what I told my daughter as we wrap up and go on to actual, real celebration of life this morning. I said something along the lines of, we weep because there are things that we wish weren't true. You're sad because you wish it was different. But Jesus, what we're celebrating today, though, this is Easter, or tomorrow, I guess. This conversation was yesterday. I have very profound conversations with my two-year-old, y'all. But what we celebrate at Easter is, is the, the reality, the hope that we can, like, grab a hold of that Jesus has begun a new work of making all of these things that we wish weren't true actually untrue that our weeping will be turned into rejoicing, that our mourning will be transfigured into joy. Jesus kindly invites each one of us by name out of our graves and into this new creation that has begun, this new way of being in this old world, a new way of life. And so, yes, we weep. But we weep as people with hope. Because the reign of God, the reign of Jesus, his way of peace is coming and is in fact already here among us today. So we celebrate this morning.
of all mornings, I want to invite you into like actual, real joy and celebration. Uh, Our church tends to be a cynical church, and that's okay. Our church tends to have a lot of weeping, and absolutely, yes, let's weep. But on this morning of all mornings, Jesus is inviting us to enter into the real substantial hope that even in our brokenness, even in our weeping, even in our deep grief, this is not the end of the story. And so we celebrate. We drink. You all saw that, and you're like, well, what kind of church is this? Jesus describes his new creation as a big fellowship table where we're drinking wine and feasting together. So what we're trying to experience this morning is a little foretaste of that. That together, for just a moment, we would enter into just like letting go of some of the stress, letting go of whatever tomorrow holds, letting go of the the reality of grief and death and graves that surround us. And even just for this little bit of space and time, we can just rejoice in the fact that Jesus has risen. That he's assured us that there is life and life abundant in him. So we're gonna sing a couple more songs. We're gonna come and share in communion together. And then we're gonna feast and enjoy and delight on this Easter morning. Let me pray for us as the worship team comes up. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.